0: Hey friend, before we start the next episode, I wanna let you in on something new. You see, the reason I started this podcast is to answer more deeply the question I get over and over again, which is, how did you start your business and can you help me launch mine? This podcast invites you behind the scenes on how to run a successful interior design business, but I want to go one step further and give you something invaluable, which is access to my proven blueprint to launching your own business. It's called the Design Business Accelerator Toolkit, linked in our show notes and on our website, lizlevininteriors.com. If you're serious about starting your interior design business, then this one's for you and it's launching soon, so go grab your spot. I want you to succeed like I did and like the many successful designers who have studied with me. If that sounds like something you wanna do, then we've got you covered. Okay, let's dive into our next episode. Ever thought about starting your own business as an interior designer?
1: Join Liz Levin, nationally published design entrepreneur of 20 years, as she interviews experts, colleagues, and creatives to pull back the curtain on the design industry. Whether you're passionate about design, eager to start your design business, or simply curious about what happens behind the scenes, we're here to open the doors for you. Welcome to Behind the Drapery Podcast,
0: Julie Weber started in the interior design industry in 1996 at a local design shop in Bethesda, Maryland. After earning her degree in interior architecture, she worked in a commercial interior architecture firm until 2001, when she transitioned to residential design. In 2003, Julie partnered with her high school friend and fellow designer, Joe Ireland, to launch JD Ireland, which just celebrated their 20th anniversary. They were in their 20s at the time, and much like the tech disruptors of today, they were intent on breaking away from business as usual and offering a more dynamic, down-to-earth approach. The values they defined back then, creativity, transparency, and to encourage collaboration, were a shock to the system. Together, Julie and Joe also redefined what it means to be a designer. Instead of a one-note, rarefied sensibility, they offer premium design with an abundance of creativity and without ego. You're going to love hearing about her unique business structure inside a successful partnership and the less sexy topic of liability we all carry as working as a designer. She'll also get into pivotal moments that propelled their business forward. You're going to learn so much. So let's dive in. Well, I'm thrilled today to have my friend Julie Weber joining us, a seasoned interior designer with JD Ireland in Washington, D.C., I love you both so much, and we all came up together in the early 2000s and have been part of each other's support group of designers over the years. Welcome, Julie. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Liz. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. The pleasure is all mine. I'm excited to introduce you to our listeners and talk about your unique path and your business structure and all the things. I was looking back on your website and realized you had a great sort of summary on your intent on breaking away from business as usual as an interior design firm. I definitely want to dig into all of that. So to kick things off, could you share a bit about your journey in the world of design? Like, What was your path? How did you decide you wanted this to be your a career path to pursue? Yeah, I'll, I'll
1: give the Cliff's Notes version. <laughs> I did go to school for it, but my freshman year I started as a communications major and I thought, how boring is that? No offense to all of the communications <laughs> majors out there. I then learned, you know, I was taught, I was figuring out like, what can I do? What's really, what, what, where's my passion? I'm what, 19 years old, who even knows? And then I learned that you could major in interior architecture in college. So I did that.
0: Oh, that's so smart. I think I had the dream and then didn't have that option where I went to school. I'm jealous. Yeah, Well, I
1: transferred to do it. Oh, okay. I did that. And coming out, it was the, the mid to late 90s. And it was sort of the tech boom. And I started my career in commercial architecture okay. in a big firm that was doing the AOL headquarters and wow. strategy, And so I did big interior architecture projects. I mean, I was low man on the totem pole. Um, <laughs> the CAD jockey, I believe I really was. <laughs> and I did that for three or four years. And then I, I made the switch to residential design. How did Most you make that
0: th- switch? How did you think about making that? It's cha- a big change, right? Doing huge commercial. It's a big
1: business. change. Honestly, I was, I was pigeonholed got really tired of just drafting all day long. And while I was told you're really good at it, that also meant you're going to do it all the time. Oh and God. I was just really just sort of burnt out. And yeah. after I feel like three or four years, that's sort of too fast to be burnt out. I don't know.
0: Kind of a grind, right? I mean, it's so detailed. And- it's
1: so detailed. And, and-,
0: and the reality is I love it. I love it, love it,
1: love it. It's a part that I can still love because I'm not doing it all day, every day now. I still love reading plans. They're not actually blueprints anymore. They were blueprints when we started in this industry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So much has changed with technology. So much
1: has changed. Yeah. I mean, I didn't learn AutoCAD in school. I learned hand drafting. Mm -hmm. We were still hand drafting. I learned AutoCAD on the job. Anyway, so I did that for a bunch of years. And then I don't remember exactly what motivated me to start looking around for jobs. But at the time there was a website, interiordesignjobs.com. No kidding. Um, I don't even know if they still exist. Daryl Carter, who mm-hmm. is a, another Washington designer that is yeah. national international had a job posting. And so I was like, eh, I'll see. I reached out. I went for an interview. I got the job. That's how I made the switch.
0: You rolled in with your AutoCAD skills and rolled
1: in with my AutoCAD skills.
0: It's just a few years ahead of us, right? Age and stage wise, he probably really needed that inside. Right? Yeah,
1: I think that's, you know, that's what happened. I mean, his his background was he was, a, he was an attorney and was just in- incredibly naturally talented at interiors. And his house was published in Metropolitan Home magazine, which is unfortunately now defunct. But I think he got noticed and his business started snowballing. And I think at the time he needed to build a design team. And so the timing just worked out really nicely. Through working with him and at that firm, you know, I went to the design center and used it for the first time professionally, where mm-hmm. I feel like previously I'd never used it professionally. I had wandered through, you know, not really knowing who Emmanuel Canuvas is and, you know, Elitice and all of these things that meant nothing to me for a long time.
0: It was like so, a candy store the first time we went in there. Right? Wow. It, it was, was so huge space too.
1: The panels and panels of fabrics and trims. I mean, I've never seen who, who knew there were so many trims. <laughs> I,
0: that's, I remember that too. I had that same reaction with trim and I had a colleague that really was all into trim. And I thought, oh my gosh, a box of trims in her office at all times. It's like you were living in black and white doing AutoCAD all day and then with Daryl got to be in living color, so to speak, down at the design center and actually touching and feeling the materials he was working with. Did you feel like you came alive at that point? I mean, did you really change how you felt about working in design or? A little yes and a little no. I I think what was so
1: wonderful for me about working with someone like Daryl is that because he was not a designer by training, Mm-hmm. He and was an attorney. He was very specific about making sure that our T's were crossed and our eyes were dotted, and everything was in writing, and everything was done by the book. And that's how my brain actually works. And that'll sort of segue into the partnership that J.D. Ireland is, and and why it's thankfully been so successful. I think that the combination of seeing how to run a business safely with managed liabilities. Because something that I feel like a lot of people might not know about interior design is there's a tremendous amount of liability, which is sort of the not glossy, fun part.
0: The glossy, fun part. And I think we've talked about that offline as a group. A lot of folks get into this because they have a creative sensibility, have the eye for design, and then have no business background or sense of the liability. And and we've talked about, you know, sometimes things go sideways in construction and what have you, and- When I advise people who come to me around about starting their own business, I'll say business insurance really is something you need to have early on. An accountant first, pay all of your taxes and sales taxes, and then business insurance because you are going into people's homes, obviously, and bringing in tradespeople. So it sounds like you got that from the start with Daryl. And obviously being an attorney, he had that in spades, probably the best contract around. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, I, I owe it to him
1: that I learned the importance of that. And I do the exact same thing. Somebody comes to me and says, actually a friend of my my brother's a few months ago had a different career for 20 years and she just sort of started to get into interiors and she wanted to talk and we met for coffee. And the first thing I said was, get your liability insurance. It is yeah. the most important thing. And it's not, you know, it's not sexy and it's not yeah. fun, but what we do is a business at the end of the day. You know, right. we need to make money and our clients are affluent. And affluent people want things done correctly.
0: And have the resources to enforce any... Exercise litigation. Exercise litigation is the word I'm searching for, the phrase. Was there anything that went sideways that you could sort of share as a cautionary tale? Or is it too close to what it was like working in Daryl's office and you wouldn't want to share on his behalf?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, working with Daryl, everything was great. I was still sort of... Low man on the totem pole during that time. You know, I came in as a project manager. I didn't really do much lead design. I had made some good relationships with the clients and they trusted me. And Daryl thankfully trusted me to, you know, pull a replacement fabric here and there. If there was an issue, I frankly wasn't privy to it. You know, right. we're talking 23, 24 years ago at this point. So I don't remember anything negative at that point. I just know that it was really important that we knew exactly what we were putting out there and everything was in writing. Like you said, you know, offline and our you know, our friendship goes back 20 years. And we have certain, you know, I have certainly relied on you and a couple of other other design friends to share invent and say, here's a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. What do I do? We have had scenarios where you know we've brought contractors in and they have grossly underperformed okay. and the client wants the money back. The problem is the way we've set it up here at JD Ireland is that our clients contract directly with the contractors. We don't want to carry that insurance. We don't want that liability. But what we learned is-
0: that doesn't matter. You are still left holding the bag. You are
1: still left. So, you know, when a client came to us and said, I paid $40,000 to this contractor for my bathroom remodel and it hasn't been done and I want that money back, that contractor's gone. Correct. And we are left trying to figure it out. It's those sorts of scenarios where, you know, we have great relationships with our clients and we come with all the best intentions. You can put absolutely everything in writing and have a, have a really tight contract Mm -hmm. and still people will find a way if they are upset enough. But then there's also the human component where we don't want to leave our client with an unfinished bathroom. Absolutely. Um, It is really important. I think that's something that that would probably be very surprising to a lot of people is that in our industry, our margins are pretty small. Mm -hmm. So I think there are very few residential design firms out there that have the cash available to refund a $40,000 or whatever it is. And that's where the liability insurance comes in.
0: Have you had to enforce that at all? I fortunately have not had to lean on my insurance, but I use the contract as a way to start the conversation in the beginning. One, how we our policies, our purchasing pricing in particular comes up, photography and rights around that in terms of the project. If something goes a little bumpy in the project, not a $40,000 contractor thing, but other issues around hourly billing or delivery fees, things like that. I will use it as something to point back to and and lean on, but thankfully I haven't had to go to court over anything. I don't think anybody really wants to do that it ends up costing yeah. more than the actual mistake unless you have a contractor with, you know, $50,000 on the line yeah. that's totally different. Everything you said is a good
1: point. Fees, a client will come to us and say, "You know, I've got $200,000 for this project and we have to clarify is it 200,000 all in or is it 200,000 for goods plus fees?" plus the tax, plus the shipping, plus the receiving, plus the delivery, oh, yes. what is
0: plus, 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 I know. I just had a new project come to me and said, I've got $100,000 for this kitchen and it's a townhouse. And I thought, this is doable. Then I'm getting the labor. And then you think, how can it cost? I'm sure, you know, customers or clients rather are like, this should get me a lot, right? And then you've got the design fee, the contractor fee, the cabinetry, the appliances. She wants nicer plan. And then suddenly <laughs> you've exceeded- You're at $150,000, $175,000. Yeah, easily.
1: It's funny to have, you know, a finished product in an initial phone call with a potential client. I almost always get the question, what do you think this is going to cost? Oh, yeah. I don't know what your goods are going to cost because I don't know if you're going to say, hey, I really just want you to pull from West Elm. Or (laughs) if we will have a client that has an incredible appreciation for antique area rugs and they have a $125,000 area rug. I don't know. Or art. art. I mean, art is a whole other category or the whole other. <laughs> if
0: you yeah. want trim on every pillow you've just. Would you oh, exactly.
1: Exactly. And to circle back to the trim thing, yes. Daryl wouldn't use trim at all ever. Never. So, trim free. Trim free. Trim free. Yeah. So in that sense, it
0: was really clean and easy. And he has a, people need to look him up if they don't know Daryl Carter already with his books, his aesthetic. I mean, it, He's incredible he came on the scene. Yes. It was such, it still is. I mean, it, it's timeless, but it such yeah. a unique perspective I thought. And with yeah. his neutral color palette and the antiques and yeah. I
1: don't, I still yeah. don't think that there is a designer that can combine such a clean modern interior that is so layered and so textured
2: mm-hmm. with
1: a neutral palette. It's it's spectacular. Every space that he does mm. is art. It's beautiful.
0: That's a great way to put it. It does feel like art because he puts so much care into finding those unique, one-of-a-kind antiques and yeah. marries it perfectly with a more contemporary new piece of furniture or yeah. A sofa, yeah, artwork, whatever it is. Oh, I yeah. I have several of his books and and friends who have used him as a designer as well and their their homes are spectacular.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah,
0: no, he's he's incredibly talented. He had zero legal issues because he knew what he was doing cuz he's so good. He knows our... exactly what he's doing. Yes,
1: yes, I joke. Back to the com- but back to the conversation of cost. An initial phone call with somebody, they will say, you know, inevitably what will it cost? And I say, you know, a finished room, you know, let's say we're doing a family room, a finished family room, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever been less than, you know, 40, 45,000 and it's average 75, 80,000 and people I'm sure we haven't heard back from people probably because that number up front seems so scary. It blows
0: people's minds because yeah. What you're exposed to before you work with a designer are catalogs and things you see in retail, and and also you're not adding up all of the elements that a designer would bring to the table, as you know, like window treatments that are custom made and hand sewn, and all of the things, the rugs and the art and the time to have a seasoned professional put it all together and install it for you. I mean, it is a service. I I think when you talk about cost with potential clients up front, you throw out those big average numbers of the rooms they're seeing on your portfolio. And then also our time, and also hiring a designer is not about getting the cheapest outcome or the or saving money. I, that's something we've touched on with some other guests too. Is the pricing thing with interior design is tricky because of the commission that we make on furniture, or people call it our discount, and they feel entitled to it. And that mm-hmm. could be a whole conversation in of itself. But yeah, it is hard with that initial call when you throw out. The big numbers, and then, like you said, they don't call you back because it's so terrifying. I try not to give a number <laughs> up front. You know, I don't want to frighten them. I try
1: to at least get, in, get physically in front of them and do a walkthrough of their space and have those conversations. You know, but then I do, I, I'll walk them through. You know, if you don't hire a designer mm-hmm. and you walk into Crate and Barrel mm-hmm. and you want to furnish, simply furnish, you want to get your sofas, your chairs, your side tables, your lamps, you're going to walk out spending. All in. And that's with no professional help. But you're not going to have your window treatments. You're not going to have your wall treatments. You're not going to have a finished space and have it styled. And also, you're spending all of your own time placing all the orders, doing all the measuring, doing all the tracking, and then receiving.
0: Oh, and it's so much work that you can't imagine it until you're in it. I've had clients who were renovating homes and we were doing the full design, but they had lighting somehow tied into the contractor builder. And she said, oh, shoot, I, I forgot. I've already paid for my lighting budget al- allowance. Let me take your mood boards. And basically we picked out lighting from visual comfort and and things yeah. that she get through her builder, part of our design plan. But long story short, even just taking our ideas and specs, she said, oh my gosh, it took me so much time to figure it out and make sure I had it and order it. And, and that was with some help. So it is very time consuming. And, it, and it's it incredibly to time to consuming. Press yeah. press That upon people. Cause you're, they haven't done it. And you wouldn't know until you see the stacks of paper per order or now the e- many emails per order, you exactly, know? exactly. You know, but what I often will say to people is think about what
1: happens when you place an order for something yourself, you're buying a sweater online. Mm-hmm. You are spending some amount of time shopping for that sweater. You are looking for something specific. Correct. It takes time to find that. It does. And then you place the order. Mm -hmm. You track it yourself, right? Hmm, What's happening if it's not Amazon, right? You're (laughs) tracking it. Of course. And then you receive it. You open it up. You look at it. You make sure it's okay. And either you place it where it's supposed to be and you get rid of the packing materials. (laughs) There is an amount of time that you spend that you don't even register because it's just what we do. Right. And so I think that one thing that after being in this industry for so long, I do sometimes forget somebody hiring us or hiring a designer for the first time, Mm -hmm. isn't aware of all of those little steps. And so I, I once I got some feedback, I would say it was probably 10 or 12 years ago. I got feedback from a client Mm -hmm. we had done a couple of projects with at the time. And she was referring somebody else to us, her friend's children to us. And they were probably twenty five at the time. And she said, I said, you know, okay, you know, I'm curious, what did you say, you know, about how, what to expect in working with a designer? And she said, you'll hear from them a lot in the beginning. You'll get a lot of bills. And then there'll be a waiting period where you don't hear from them that much and you're still
0: getting bills. (laughs) Oh, that's, Funny, that's so interesting because it's true. That's the tracking time. <laughs> that's the waiting time. Oh, the buying time, right? That the buying time, the tracking time. Yeah, procurement, so, right? Procurement,
1: our procurement. That's right. You know, and so I, since that, I took away, and I'll say to my team, you know, let's let's check in with our clients mm-hmm. at least weekly, mm-hmm. um, if not a couple times a week. Just here, hey, you know, here's a heads up. Now, what's interesting is in thinking about where we started. Um, how ordering went. And then I want to touch on what you had ori- originally said about we, it was actually a, a, a journalist who said to Joe and me uh, last year, two years ago. So you guys were really disruptors in the industry. And I want to, I want to touch on that because you mentioned it in the beginning.
0: Oh yes. I know I've got so many ideas and I definitely want to circle back to how you and Joe formed your partnership after your days with Daryl. I will, I'll make this point and then we'll, we'll. Yes, let's just do it. Back to that. There's so much um, to say.
1: We need to, <laughs> there's always so much to say. How many, do we have six hours, seven hours? <laughs> <laughs> Almost eight.
0: <laughs> this is what our dinners are like. They don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> they don't stop. <laughs> Therapy, problem solving. Yeah, it's so exactly all work right. in a vacuum. I'm. that's a whole other conversation when you work for yourself, it's, you yeah. Know, you absolutely, absolutely. But our industry operated
1: one way 20 years ago. It operated a little bit of a different way 10 years ago. And then three years ago, it totally changed. So we've had to sort of relearn mm-hmm. how we work. And now, you know, I know that you are a very much like, let's just get it done. Let's move quickly yes. person. Yes. I have never been that person. I am one step at a time. Let's not right. rush. Let's, let's make sure we're doing it Process. correctly the first time. Yeah. Um, not to say that you're not. <laughs>
0: no, it's okay. I know what you mean. I do figure things out on the fly for sure. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, you have the
1: luxury of you being the the driver of your ship right. and you are, you're responsible for that. Whereas we have a few other people working here and a few other lead designers themselves. So mm-hmm. I think it's, my, you know, it's important to me that we're all operating the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you have the you have a bit of a luxury to be like, Hey, this is how we're operating.
0: What's well, a good segue to tell us about how you decided to enter into a partnership, because I believe that's pretty unique because a lot of us are set up the way I am, where I'm driving the train, as you say, and I've got junior assistant designers, project managers helping me, but I'm able to scale up and down and do what I like based on what my life's doing at that moment in time. Yeah, right. Where you are, what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um I want to give a,
1: a, a snippet into how Joe got into this. Yes. Joe Ireland is my business partner. Yes. Um, we met in 1991. We both went to high school in the area. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, We've known each other for a very, very, very long time. Um, yeah. He was doing window display at a salon in DuPont Circle called Axis at the time. They're no longer around. He was getting... The window displays were so beautiful Mm -hmm. and the post wrote, did a piece on him, everybody walking by and the clients of the salon. And ultimately people were saying to him, can you do my house? Oh, wow. Joe is one of these people, not unlike Daryl, who was just born brilliant at this. Mm -hmm. Um, He can sketch to scale. Just off the top of his head. It's just how it happens. It's remarkable. Yeah, so he was born with the incredible talent of design and art. Amazing. Um, And he went and did an apprenticeship with another design firm in the city, Solis Betancourt. And then he decided to do this on his own when he realized he doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I
0: think that that's when I first met him because my first design gig was at a furniture store, as you know, Vastu on 14th. Yes. And I remember young Joe coming in because we're about the same age, all of us, right? Came in yeah. time, would come in and working on these projects. And I was a couple of years behind him thinking, oh, wow, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. This is great. You know, the, the owners yeah. of the store knew him. He looked super cool, handsome, oh outfit, the whole package. The yeah.
1: cutest, the coolest, as charming, as engaging, brilliant. Yeah, oh, oh,
0: yeah. What a time. I mean,
1: 14, 14th Street was just becoming a place that was more than just, you know, prostitutes.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I know, because we all grew up in the area. And I used to, I mean, it doesn't sound good to say we'd go down there. And if we got that far, turn around and come back. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's not where you
1: go. But yeah. now we're shopping there. Now there's, there's you know, Vastu and Moulet and-
0: Jason and L- I, he's episode two, got to talk about all the Vastu things. So If anyone's interested in hearing that, that's episode two. Yeah, listen to that episode. That's gonna be a good one. That episode, <laughs> a plug within my own show. I love it. I love it. It's, that's okay. It's okay. But handsome Joe, I didn't know. I mean, I'd forgotten he started styling the windows, and he had this inherent yeah. talent and gift, and everybody recognized that instantly. So he went out on his yeah. own with his artistic abilities and found out the business, and maybe needed support.
1: Yeah. Oh wait, this is a business. Um. Yeah. Oh wait. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not just beautiful materials and wow. and fabrics and coming out with coming up with beautiful layouts and spaces. So, he called me mm-hmm. and he said, "I started a design firm. Don't know what I'm doing. Do you want to do it with me?"
0: <laughs> what a pitch. Hey, I'm flying blind over here, but yeah. I got a great yeah. and-
1: We went to dinner and yeah. we talked about it. Yeah. And I said, "Fine. I'll do it." <laughs>
0: Oh, wait, you're still working
1: for Daryl Carter at this point, right? So actually, no, I had after two years, I had thought to myself, you know what? This is another episode. Interior design, (laughs) residential interior design is emotional. You are in people's homes. You are in their relationships, in their marriages, in. In it, I have meetings where the wife. And I said to myself, it's been two years. I love it. I'm going back to commercial. (laughs) I'm out. I'm back to AOL. So I went back. So I actually went, I got a job at a commercial firm. And it was when I was there. I think I was there, God, four or five months. Oh, wow. And Joe, that's when Joe called. And I thought, you know what? I'm really actually quite good at residential. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch back. (laughs)
0: And if you have Joe handling the emotional client piece, I'm leading, uh, jumping ahead. Tell us how you defined your roles, the two of you. He had, yeah, yeah. And well, there's there's, creative abilities. So, I mean, right. So,
1: well, there's some, there is some history there. I, he and I partnered with the idea that we would both be designers. Um, I would do the project management piece. um, And we had a third partner when we started. It's the D in JD Ireland, J is for Julie. Ireland is Joe's last name because he had the coolest last name. Good reason. The company is not called the giant squid, but we actually wanted it to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. That's one of the first things people think about is what to name it and using your name or not. And I'm going to go into that at, in an episode too, as to reasons yeah. around using a name, uh, an anonymous name, or like you said. Yeah. Just- well, that's what we did. We, we knew
1: Joe and I are both designers and I didn't want his company was Joseph Ireland interiors, call it ego, whatever it was. I was like, you know what? I don't want people to feel like if they're working with me, they're not getting Joseph Ireland. Right. So then we worked pretty hard on figuring out what we should name it. Ireland had already made a, a small dent in the industry in in the city. And so it made good sense to keep Ireland in our name. Um, and then, You know, we just thought, okay, well, we'll do J for Julie. And, you know, D was for our other friend who was not a designer and he was entirely business. He did all the business stuff. So I would do, in in design manager, I would do the inputting of all of the specs, but our other partner would send the proposals and do the purchase orders and do the procurement. So it started out like that.
0: I think that's really smart that you started that way because... That was something I had to learn, I think, several years in how important it was for the client relationship and everything to have, we called our person an operations manager, who actually was my sister for about 10 years. um, Because I could stay warm and fuzzy and maintain the client relationship and I'm showing the things and I'm selling the things. And then once they agreed to purchase, we want this room. I moved everything over to operations manager and customer service and then It served everyone well. If there was an issue, they were, you know, again, I was in their walk-in closets and meeting their families. If they had a problem, they didn't really want to mess up our relationship. So they'd go to our operations manager and say, look, this one, this is dented. This is a problem. This is late. Not that I wasn't aware or involved, but I think delineating that, I don't know. It took me longer to, I sort of had to come about it after
1: several weeks. Well, you hit the nail on the head on how and why our, mine and Joe's partnership has worked so well. Because having a good cop, bad cop is is really, it's, it's really useful in a lot of ways. Um, You know, I often say like, I'm the person who everybody hates.
0: Oh, as
1: much as people want the beautiful things, they don't want to pay for it. They want the service. They don't want to pay for it. And I am in enormously grateful to the incredible clients and there are many of them who have been wonderful and have made the firm what we are i'm not to, i'm not trying to say that anybody is not great we have ex- exceptional clients who have been with us for many many years but it really is a thing and it does take an emotional drain on mm-hmm. the designer to mm-hmm. also have to deal with that sort of nitty gritty yucky stuff
0: we're working with products and vendors that we can't control every motion end to end. And so if it doesn't get on a truck or the upholsterer doesn't, you know, he's not talking to the client. I mean, they're talking to us. We're literally the middleman, um, but we're the yes. face of the client. And so. Yeah. yeah that- I mean, and that, that's exactly right.
1: You know, I will often, you know, if, if things get dicey, I will sometimes call a client and say, I understand you're angry with us. We, I need you to know, we are your gladiators. We are on your side. We want this project done. Trust Mm me.
0: (laughs) We want you so happy. So super duper happy. We want you so
1: happy. Why would we not? You know, we, we designed this beautiful thing with you. We, we've learned how you live. We've learned what you want to, you know, what kind of space you want to exist in. We want to deliver that for you. We are fighting every day. With you know the tile manufacturer in California right now who sent an entire set of tile that was the wrong color and it's handmade and so now we're having it remade and that takes months sometimes so yeah but having those conversations
0: is key I mean I think sometimes people just want to feel heard like this is really aggravating I paid a hundred million dollars for this space yeah. because we have that quiet period to the client yeah. way anyway, of procurement, I will pop in and say, hey, we are checking in all the time and doing this and doing this. I want you to know, which goes yeah. back to something you mentioned earlier, which we also do our Friday email updates for the clients. Um, we sort of include yeah. our energy around that because I want to get in front of folks in our quiet period and let them know what my project managers have been doing on their behalf. If they are, if their retainers are dwindling and they're getting hourly bills, this is what's happening. We're tracking, we're problem solving, we're finding something out before it's a bigger problem, you know? Yeah. Oh, they didn't get the knit back? Oh, shoot. Let's go scramble and send that out. It's a lot of yeah. busy work that you do not want to do yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's re- it's remarkable. It's an unbelievable amount. We just spent, we had pulled three trims for a, a reupholstering a, a bench for a primary bedroom for a client of ours out on the Eastern shore. Hmm. The client had her favorite. We had our favorite. And then we decided to throw away the third one. Sent Contacted the vendor, you know, pricing, availability. Turns out both are discontinued, oh. but they're going to see if they have stock. Liz, the <laughs> conversation back and forth has been going on for three weeks now. I don't doubt it. It's crazy sometimes. They've got to reach out to France. And I don't know what hours France works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the amount of time to figure out the availability of any stock of this trim. It's so silly. It's silly. And we end up waiting a lot of that time because it's just too much time.
0: (laughs) I do that too. I look over the time sheets and I say, oh gosh, this is just write this off as admin cost of doing business because yeah, it's egregious. Sometimes it's just crazy. Right. And nobody signed up for that. Nobody said, yes, please <laughs> spend 12 yeah. hours on the phone with friends. We had a fabric yeah. one time where I think a cyclone or something hit a very small Indonesian Island that was block printing a quadrille fabric. And I was like, they're like, so the that. whole little building is down. Do you want to pick a different <laughs> fabric? Yeah. I was like, yeah this is mid- pandemic I don't think I'm gonna wait for the hut to be put back up. No, they're block no. printing this, which was fascinating that that's where it was happening but we had to switch fabrics obviously they were fabrics I didn't I mean, regularly it- produce fabrics there are problems. The last thing I needed was uh, a yeah. the natural disaster in Indonesia affecting my timeline you know right that's exactly right which is so funny because and that sort of that sort of is a little bit of
1: a check of what we do and that it is a luxury service and it's a luxury business. You know, you want to take a minute and be like, oh my gosh, are those people okay? Like or how how will they, how will they survive if they can't produce this product that we all the way over here are buying, you know, however many yards of it. It's that's a that's a whole other thing. And sometimes these stories just sound so crazy and made up, but they happen. <laughs>
0: Happen, And I don't want to seem like I don't care about anybody. No, I, yeah. no, no, no. What I'm saying
1: is, you know, when we've yeah. got a client who's all up in arms, I'm like, oh, okay, but- the village is down by the cyclone. Yeah, the village is gone. The whole village is gone. Your sofa yeah. is not happening in the way we originally envisioned it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to redo that. Um, but anyway, so back to how Joe and I yes. sort of migrated to our current positions. Um, our third partner chose to leave the this business and went back to he was doing some it or something before that so he went to do that i just have a, a natural type a i'm going to control all of this stuff and joe's while i consider myself a great designer i'm a i'm really good at scale i am very good at drafting <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back to your original start, <laughs> your my, my original start. Um, no, I mean, when sofas come in the wrong size and they don't usually, but it, because it, you have measured and done a plan, if you can't do that,
1: yeah, I really yeah, don't and and you know, and I care very much about what and our human existence is in a space. I care about how we sit in a chair. I care about where that where your toilet paper roll is. you know, I real I care very much about that stuff. Joe is is art. And so the the natural combination of you know having a team of people who have a lot of my skills and a lot of his skills and it allowed us, Joe and I, to each do what we were both the, the best at.
0: Compliment um, each other really
1: well. Yeah. So them. he he is hundred percent creative in the firm. Mm-hmm. And I am about 75% business management of the company and I do a handful of projects a year and I have some very long-term clients that our aesthetic really matches and I know them very well and I work with them on their myriad projects as they come along.
0: Did it start out that way, this percentage you just described or were you both trying to work together on every project or was it always, I guess, you know we were
1: working together on every project. Um, It was really only The first, I think it was the first three years that there were three owners of the company. After three years, it was just Joe and me. And at that time, you know, talk about calling in an accountant, you know, when our business manager partner left, the first call I made was to our accountant.
0: (laughs) Show me how to do, show me how to work QuickBooks. (laughs) Oh man, I still do stuff in design manager for a long time until I found the QuickBooks edition. Oh yeah, no, you got to do QuickBooks. Yeah. Design manager has its place, but it is not bookkeeping. It's <laughs> not bookkeeping. I've given them that feedback. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I think, and yeah, those platforms have evolved. I mean, it was just design manager when we started in, in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I go into platforms, I want to make sure I want to hear more, talking about you guys being disruptors in the industry and your approach. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you talk about offering a more dynamic down-to-earth approach to working with a designer, that sort of dovetails into your different roles and how you were building your business back then. What was the thinking there? What made you well, put that out we, there? We both, came, we both came to the table
1: with this desire to um, have the clients be more a part of the process of the design so that they could see the evolution and and really the organic process of how these these projects come together it was also a time when the internet was starting to really take off mm-hmm. we're talking 2003 you could start to ask jeeves where you can buy a sofa you know so it started to be over the course of the next you know five or so years accessibility for product to the end user was opening up
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we could no longer private label things. Really? Um, Schumacher, I'm, I'm not sure if exactly, but I felt it. I felt yeah. it. You open a, a house, beautiful magazine and Schumacher was advertising
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, and it started to be, our clients would start to ask, well, is this a Kravit fabric? Huh. Um, and yeah. so we were like, we don't wanna lie. Right. We want our clients to know what they're getting. So we decided we are not going to hide anything. We are going to expose our margin. Really? So not just sources, but... And hope that our clients understood that we are a business and we need to make money. Um, Mm -hmm. Because while it's only been probably, what, the last maybe seven to 10 years that you could actually Google a product and find it, um, I remember our first our first thing was a, a modern fan company mm-hmm. used to be, or my memory is that they were trade only. Mm-hmm. And we had proposed it to a client at our cost, plus whatever amount we put on it. I think at the time we probably did net plus 30%. Mm-hmm. And our client, because we do share specs, our client had Googled and found it for less online. Oh, geez. And we thought that makes us look yucky. I don't like that. True. We yeah. needed to evolve how we work. And so it started initially where we wanted, you know, we knew that, you know, clients were were savvy. And with the access to these products, they're, you know, people are going to try to get the best price. Like you've touched on earlier. And that's not really why you hire a designer.
0: No, it's um, so tricky. It's really a sticky wick to navigate. I'm, I'm kind of surprised you guys went transparent so early on. I was, cause that's when I was starting and was very much, um, you know, just showing to the trade goods for the most part. Um, I don't I mean, let anybody see anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I think it was, first of all, it was, it's time consuming
1: to work that way. Yeah. It's yeah. time consuming to keep it all behind the curtain. In the curtain. I will say we, are transitioning a little bit more to working that way again? Why? Why the change
0: now? What do you think?
1: There are a lot of copies out there. There's a lot of duplicates. You know, well, the dupes. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of dupes. You know, the look for less, right? right. That's a thing. It is, um, a- and, and people like it. And so we have we have chosen, you know, sort of again organically to make sure that we know what we're selling someone. We know what the materials are. We know where it's coming from. We don't want it to off gas formaldehyde (laughs) in their homes. You know, so we, so we have, we do a lot of research of where things are coming from, making sure that we're saying to our client, this sofa that looks like, you know, this Wayfair sofa is built by A couple of people that we know down in Southern Virginia, we know where the wood came from. We know how it was put together and we know what the fill is. And you're getting this product and you're paying this price because you're getting a piece that is not full of carcinogens.
0: Awareness among clients has changed too. It used to be just sort of this evolution that you described that maybe the pendulum is swinging back. It's People wanted things for less, and things were cheaply made, fast furniture, fast fashion, all of that. And then the tide turned, and people were thinking more about sustainability and where things are coming from, and the off gassing that you mentioned, and the products that are used, and who's making it, and is there child labor, and is it made in the US, or is it, you know, what am I supporting here in my furniture purpose? And all of that has really changed since the early 2000s for sure. But I I want to touch back on the pricing. I this is such a hot button and and people starting their business, that's one of the main questions they ask is how do you price the clients and what's successful? And there are so many different ways which makes it confusing to customers, clients because we're all set up a little bit differently. I think there's some common approaches, but yeah. I you know, in the early days, I will tell people starting their business, I was sort of sheepish about talking about price because And it seems silly to say it is a business. I didn't want to highlight how I made an income, which sounds nuts because you're charging for your time, but also you're earning commission on trade goods. And then people ask about getting your discount. And I then learned to reframe it as a commission because I do believe it's that, that we're the outside sales force for these different vendors that don't have, you know, the furniture makers in North Carolina that I buy sofas from, they don't have a retail outlet. They don't have a store. They're selling through the trade in terms of decorators and designers. So it's not something that my client could go find anyway. tricky because I don't like to, of course, I'm an honest person. We all want to be straightforward in our business. And when people ask me that question, I'll say my relationships with my trade vendors vary. So there's different percentages based on, I actually don't have a flat percentage. I have a different, depends on my, like I said, relationship with the vendor. Some of them are better than others. But I always tell clients that, we don't mark up above retail. We d- we only collect the difference between net and trade. And that's a whole conversation. But, you know, back to your Daryl days, he was such a famous designer that people worked with him. They didn't want to question it, I'm sure. I've heard that where people would say, oh, can I even ask him where the fabric's from? Because he's a famous designer. People always question. But to your point, absolutely. it's
1: It's an uncomfortable conversation because for some reason we feel like is it bad that we're also, you know, getting a commission for the goods? You know, you like the word commission. The word commission, I feel like, makes me a little bit nervous because then I've had, I've had a, I don't i have had actually know if this person ended up hiring us or not. It was a number of years ago, but he said to me on a phone call, well, then your, own, your motivation is to purchase from these particular vendors where you're going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. And I think that's where the word commission makes me nervous. So I say, the Gap is not paying $60 for that sweater. right? The Gap is paying 27 cents. Are you asking the Gap to sell it to you at the cost that they get it? No, No. you accept that the cost of the sweater is the cost of the sweater.
0: Yes. And so yeah, working at a furniture store back to two days, nobody walked in and said, Hey, Vastu owners, how much are you getting this sofa for? It was made to order, customized. It's the same thing I'm selling to my clients, but it was a retail setting. I think because it's a bigger entity, I've had this discussion and, you know, the, the thinking is, well, you're one person, not this big corporation. So maybe there's room for padding it too much or the trust isn't there. But that goes back to, do you trust the person that you hired to do Honest business with you to take your money to buy the furniture to install it to bring vendors into your home. There needs to be some trust, a lot of trust.
1: Um, there needs to be trust, right? If you if you're an inherently mistrusting person, then you are probably not going to be comfortable working with a designer. Right. Um, right. But you know, it's that's exactly the point. You don't walk into Vostu, um, you know, you don't walk into West Elm and say, "Hey, can you sell this to me for the cost that you paid for it?" You don't do that. So we also don't have a flat markup. We say we're net plus 40, unless that pushes it over retail and we cap it at retail. And we also say that there are some vendors where we, if it's a big ticket item and we have a comfortable margin, then we'll do net plus 20 sometimes. We are not out to get anybody. No, no. But- we also do need to run our business, and then you know, on the flip side of that, also, when things go wrong, and things do go wrong, we typically like to not charge to fix it, Same. and and in and, and taking charging the mark the the markup
2: mm-hmm. allows
1: us a cushion to be able to correct things. You know, there are we've we've talked about this for years. How do you, how do you bill? How do you work? We've changed over the years occasionally, but we still we do our our hourly fee because we don't actually have a minimum that you have to spend with us. You don't actually have to buy anything from us, but you do have to compensate us for the time that we put into it.
0: And one of the things I will say to clients who will say, "Hey, you're going to sell me all this expensive furniture or use certain vendors that you have a relationship with," I will say the business structure of charging for your time to do the work, our time to do the work, and making a commission. I see it as not unfairly motivating my team in either direction. To your point, you don't have to buy anything. We give guidelines when people ask generally, what should I spend? What should I expect to spend? Because I will throw out kind of a minimum to get significant amount of work done in a first floor of a new home just so they, have a sense of what this investment is going to be before we get too far. I don't want you to pay a retainer and then go, holy cow, I didn't know it was going to be like you said, 40 grand a room. But then I said, look, I'm not, we're covering our time and I want to furnish your rooms because you want to be furnished and I want to be beautiful, but I'm not unfairly motivated to just bill you a ton of time just to cover us or sell you a bunch of stuff you don't need because it's, it's covered. It's sort of evenly motivated. And some years, you know, the percentage is higher in time and goods in terms of how the business is doing. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely true. Yeah, but it's it's the most uncomfortable
1: part of what we do.
0: <laughs> I, I hate that our industry has that um issue and everybody struggles with it. And I was talking to another designer that said in New York they all went full transparency using client credit cards <clears throat> to make the purchases so that you're completely out of the purchasing of it all and the pricing, but I don't think that works either either, you know. Oh, no, because then you're expected when stuff goes wrong, you're expected to fix it. Right. Back to your contractor who walked off with 45 grand. You are still Right, but I didn't right, but I didn't pay
1: for it. So how can I fix something that I didn't pay for? There are designers in this city that do that too. I can't figure out how that could work. Um a goal that I have is to figure out what a fixed procurement fee could be. That's something that we have been talking about for Joe and I've been talking about for a few years and our team we've been trying to figure out what it what it would cost for procurement. Um so that's a that's a goal for the future.
0: You talked about that too. Is it a Think of it as a small monthly retainer, maybe. I've thought about yeah. with my team kind of averaging the project management stage, you know, when we all go quiet, as you said, which is a good analogy. How many hours are we spending roughly? You know, again, but if the client has a fabric that had a natural disaster, that's going to take more hours than the average. But I know it's supposed to be an average, but if right, you, a, right, you figure it out, you, yeah. you set it at a place where you're
1: covered you know, and it's trial and error. I feel like all of, you know, figuring out how to bill in, in this industry is, it's always a question and you got to try it and you got to see what works. And we've tried for, you know, we've done some like condo buildings and some common spaces, and we tried to do a fixed fee for that. And we always end up
0: spending much more time. Um, So we have experimented with that with e-design. So we will do you know, I hate turning away people that have been following us and like our work, but aren't in a position to do a full retainer, full project. Yeah. And I have junior designers, and it's, and they like to cut their teeth on working for different, you know, projects independently under my supervision. But you yeah, e design's been a way to sort of flirt with what's a fixed fee because it's by room. You're not going to their homes, you're not processing a ton of custom goods. So it's, you know, controlled. But it's yeah. still, how does that few- work for you? How do you make
1: recommendations
0: if you can't measure the space? Well, so we put that on the client to measure, so that is on them. So there is, you know, you have to have sort of a, back to your covering here. Yeah, what's what's the liability? Well, it's, it, you know, you have a blurb in there that says, you know, you, it's on you for the measurements. Some clients will have, um, you know, if it's a condo or apartment building, they'll have sort of a floor plan they can work with. We'll send a measuring guide, which is sort of overly detailed, but I, I actually, we're talking about simplifying it a bit, but it's how to measure everything, how to photograph everything how we actually do it. That's a how we actually do it. So that's, you know, one client bought several rooms. We had an e-design special and they had architectural drawings from their renovations. They sent that over, which was great. Not everybody has that. But so we say measurements on you in a nice legal way (laughs) when you purchase. And then, um, but even the first few will end up spending more time. It's hard not to do everything you do for a full service in-person client. And you have to be okay with, giving them the the design and walking away, not knowing if they implemented or if they were totally psyched yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a totally different animal. What makes it hard I in, in part is also because we really do care. Yeah.
1: We yeah. know that to do it right, you cannot cut corners.
0: No. I mean, even down to the small ones, I, I have this wallpaper whisper, you know, grab and go sort of an experiment to see do people like pattern and color for me? If so, do they want to try us out? And so this is for powder rooms and they would ultimately yes. get an installer on their own to put it up and buy the paper. But I sent one of them out over the holidays and I was just dying to know, like, what did she do? Did she like it? I was so psyched about the papers. This is a tiny little foyer that she sent us. Not tiny, but you know, small yeah. space, not a whole house. And I don't have the, I need to follow up with feedback. We're still kind of getting our processes down. <laughs> yeah, When I kind of throw things out there and figure it out. So the follow-up. <laughs> Steps <laughs> are still under, you know, development. Yeah.
1: It's in- it's fun though, and it and it's it's why we do what we do because we do care and we do love it. And it, you know, it's not just a money maker, right? Oh. It's not just to make. You know, we're fortunate that we get to do something that we love for a living. Yes, definitely. So, like, the fact that we, you know, we get sort of buried in the how do we bill and how do we make money doing this thing that we love? The payout is really that, you know, what happens at the end and you hopefully get some beautiful photos or you've got a great relationship with people. And that's what, that's the exciting part of the industry.
0: It's so rewarding. And I mean, that's why you get into it. You said Joe is an artist and you're bringing some more of the back end organization to him, but we, it ultimately is a business, right? And we have to figure out how to do what we love and also pay our bills. I was yeah. just thinking, I wanted to ask you maybe what one of your most pivotal project moments or something that really propelled your business forward. But was there a moment that just, was it a PR moment or a huge project? I love to hear like big pivotal you know events that changed the trajectory of your business. That's a tough question. I don't, if there was one, I'm not sure I really
1: remember it. You know, in the early days when mm-hmm. we were, forming the District Design Society. (laughs) You know, we did, there was a lot of room for press coverage. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so in the beginning, you know, I think it's, it it is natural for the local publications and even national publications to want to feature new talent. Mm -hmm. And I think that coming out on the scene and, you know, putting the quality of product that, you know, both of our firms put out there received recognition
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's awesome and i think that that's really what gave us first of all exposure but mm-hmm. second the confidence to be like oh okay like yes you know like i'm sitting i'm sitting here and i'm looking you've got this beautiful library <laughs> behind you and you know i think like oh right that's what Design is. It is a really beautiful finished space. And you can sit in it and be like, oh my God, I love this. This is so pretty. But then when somebody says, Oh my God, this is really beautiful, you think, Oh, oh good, I was right.
0: <laughs> you validated that
1: I know what I'm doing. I, I, I can do this. I can Yet do so this. I think that getting that conf, you know, getting that confidence, getting that boost. And I feel like I want, I want to throw a, a thank you to the design center and the people who work at the design center because they learn who you are and they make you feel really important. And when we were young, I mean, Joe and I were what, 25 and 26 when we started this company, we were babies. And to walk in and say, you know, we are the owners of this company, you know, even though we look like kids (laughs) and to be received by people that, you know, some of them had been working in showrooms for decades and some of them were sort of new, but everybody was working to, to the same end goal. And, you know, it sort of felt like a family, right? You yeah. So I think in those early years and to anybody coming new to the scene, mm-hmm. know the people in the industry, go to the design center, you know, make friends. Build and the the relationships. Tr- we, we've all got each other's back. And so I think that's the most important thing. You know, when things go south, when your quadrille fabric cannot be produced <laughs> because of the obliterated village, oh. you want the person at the design center to say, I get that you waited for this. I get that we've got an issue. Here's a backup. We're going to overnight it for you. You make those relationships, and we all want to see these projects be successful. And so I think that learning that, coming new on on the scene, getting out there, learning that, getting some magazine recognition, and now I suspect it's online. I don't really know what happens anymore. I have aged out of understanding how to market.
0: No, but I agree with you. Those early PR moments really validated us and made me feel like, okay, I can go out there and and meet clients and someone else has agreed that I know what I'm doing, that I can put a room together because you're so young and you're really figuring it out and learning on the job, or I was really learning on the job. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want to I wanna
1: throw us a bone too, because we did something, talk about disrupting the industry. We did something that designers in a generation before us didn't do. We were friends with each other. Yes. And we, and we didn't feel like competition. We felt like, oh my God, you know, you've got your great projects. I've got my great project. I'm sure we've interviewed for some of the same projects. Oh,
0: I know we have. I think I walked out of one when you guys were rolling in. I kind of remember that, but you're (laughs) exactly right. We have each other's back. And I always say there's room for everyone. And you know, I interviewed Sally a couple episodes ago and she really helped me. And she, you know, reached out and pulled me up and shared resources. I still use the same wallpaper person. She told me about yeah. 20 plus years ago. It wasn't yeah. this. I think the industry and gosh, so many things to say, but like clients who have worked with designers that were not as on the up and up and friendly, you know, it's, it was a different era. And I think our generation, at least our crew in DC, our crew, of, yeah. the early aughts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we thought,
1: right, there's, you know, there's there's more success and support in numbers. And I think that's something that we have always practiced. Yes. And I think that, that helped us too, is knowing, you know, when I was having a really stressful moment and, you know, Joe was stressed about something else, I knew that I could call you guys and be like, oh
0: gosh, that's <laughs> what's happening. Just to vent too, or just yeah. like, hey, have someone say, don't worry, this too shall pass. You will find a way out for everybody that's successful. It feels really scary sometimes. And, you know, it's not often that things go awry because you now that we're all seasoned and have a lot more experience and bigger teams, but, um, you know, just knowing that you will figure it out and having someone say, look, I've been there. It's okay. We're all, you know, here's some resources. There's a support. It's, It's great. I love it. And I feel like that's something
1: that we all did that was different than people before us. And I actually don't know what the kids coming out now are doing or how they're how they're functioning i think that instagram has probably changed a lot for everybody i don't know how they're doing it but i still love to celebrate your wins and likewise oh
2: my our god other friends
1: wins you know it's that's that's fun that feels good
0: this has been great too getting back in touch with everyone on on doing these interviews cuz we're going back in time the way back time machine <laughs> and reliving these moments and i think there are st- principles that hold true, whether you're starting now or starting then. I love hearing everyone's coming up stories because it was so long ago. I don't remember all the details and I didn't, you know, know everything that was going on behind the scenes. I think, yeah, I hope that the new generation is as collaborative or more collaborative because things are opened up on the internet, online, on Instagram in a way that didn't happen for us back then. Yeah, Um, absolutely.
1: And like your e-design. You know, like that's something that in my, in my office, we've talked about too. Like, could we do that? It seems like fun and easy, but then you don't know what happens at the end. And that's
0: sad. (laughs) Oh, well, once I figure out that follow-up process, I'm going to, (laughs) yeah, let me know. (laughs) It's fun to try those things. I mean, I, you know, we talked about this before the call, just kind of like, like to try different products, try different ways to work with people and see what sticks or what people ask for again. Um, I think that's, what's fun about this industry is that it's not, you know, it changes all the time. The projects are different. The clients are different. The process is, you know, sort of structured the same every time, but it, it feels fresh because you're working with different people and, and, um and vendors. I think Sally said she never uses the same wallpaper or pattern twice. Is that true for you guys? I should ask everyone that question.
1: I think that's probably true. <laughs> I think it's probably true. I mean, unless I think I would say it's true for Joe. Okay. It's probably more true for Joe than it is for me, mostly because my aesthetics is more neutral. And so, you know, if I'm going to be in love with a
0: particular neutral. What's your best advice for an aspiring interior designer, given the current landscape of the business?
1: That's a That's scary so-
0: question. <laughs> That's a big question.
1: What is my best advice? I mean, I, I actually think it's part of what we were just talking about, which is make friends. Yes. Help, help other people and people will help you. Relationships are the most so it, important thing. It is the most important thing. It really is. Be kind to your vendors. Be kind to your contractors. We are all human. Stuff comes up in everybody's lives and communicate clearly with your clients. You know, I still feel like don't keep anything behind the curtain.
0: You know, I mm-hmm. share, you oh, know. Yes, I love to be upfront in the beginning of the process as we touched on a bunch. I think that's critical for folks getting into the industry to be comfortable with. Get an agreement together that you feel is fair and discuss it upfront and let people ask questions in the beginning. It's so much better than midway through the project when people want to comb your timesheets or have, don't have a sense of budget or. Yeah, I
1: think and, it, yeah.
0: That is, and that's the same with all
1: relationships, right? You know, you want to have the difficult conversations up front so that when you're in the middle of it, it's not, you know, so stressful. And of course, it's going to happen, right? You're going to get an email from a client in the middle of the night who's stressed out about something. But being able to talk about stuff and communicate super, super important. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, It's a funny industry, but it's a great industry. Be confident about your product. You know, I think that we have a tendency because for a lot of us, you know, the talent is innate and for lack of a better phrase, it's so easy for us. I think that you can probably sometimes have a hard time wanting to charge somebody for
0: something that you love doing and that you're good at. More, I felt very insecure. I think something that you are naturally gifted at or have an eye for, you sort of discount in your own mind because it's not something I didn't study design in school. I don't have a degree in that. So I really felt like, who am I to say I can put your room together? If it's just something I can kind of do, I think you need to practice it and strengthen that muscle, but yeah, I agree. The confidence is key. School teaches you how to draft. It teaches you
1: about lighting and, you know, the Kelvin scale, um, you know, but it can't teach you taste.
0: Yes. (laughs) That is something I touched on early too. When I was sitting in that classroom, I looked around. It's like, we're learning the basics. I took a couple of classes, but there were some presentations in there where you could tell, unfortunately, if you don't have the eye. Yeah, that's where you stay in commercial. (laughs) You you get pigeonholed in your AutoCAD corner, I guess. (laughs) That's exactly right. Well, Julie, it has been such a pleasure to have you with me. I think you've shared some wonderful insights and in particular, what it's like to work in a successful partnership which as I said, is unique and you both are so super talented and just crushing it. I love following your successes always.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been so fun talking with you. I want to say one more thing about, about a partnership. Please. Joe and I are very fortunate because we don't both panic at the same time. It's (laughs) funny. There's something that I'll be so stressed out about and I'll call him and he's like, oh my God, it's going to be fine. And vice versa.
0: That's amazing. That's nice. One of the best advice for hiring people someone gave me was and you're a partnership, so it's different, but look for someone that doesn't have the same skills or the same reactions in your point that you do. You don't need a bunch of views. You need a well-rounded, you know, group of individuals running it. You guys got really lucky recognizing that in each other early on from the first yeah. day. Yeah, well, we also got really lucky that, you
1: know, we have attracted and kept a team of people who are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that are with us have been with us 10, 12, you know, four years, we're incredibly fortunate that we are a family and uh, we're all partners in this. You know, we don't, we all rely on each other. And that's the most important is to know that, you know, when things go crazy, you've got each other.
0: (laughs) They will go crazy. We're all human, right? And it's all about (laughs) doing the best we can. As you said, telling your clients, we're going to do everything within our power and at least you have someone on your side to go to bat for you. The gladiator, as you said, we're all gladiators out there. Yeah. Yeah. We want to see a successful
1: project. We're yes. not just like pocketing money and sitting on your sofa over here.
0: Oh no. And if anyone's <laughs> doing that, please stop. You're making us all look bad before we even get through the interview. Seriously. <laughs> or if you're doing it, let us know how you're pulling it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, on that note, we'll say, talk to you soon. We could continue on so many topics. I hope we can have you back. Yeah. Have me back another time. Thank you, Liz. It's so fun to see you. Oh, so fun to see you too.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind
1: the Drapery, where we pull back the curtain on the interior design industry through stories, insights, and creative processes that shape the spaces we create. Make sure you subscribe to get the latest
2: episodes from your favorite podcast platform and visit our website at lizlevininteriors.com
0: for more information.